You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the scientific method that underlies medicine, specifically the medical journal publication process. In this segment, we will discuss the birth of a medical paper from submission to publication. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Catherine Spong, who is chief of the Pregnancy and Perinatology Branch of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. A graduate of the six-year honors program in medical education at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, she is also associate editor of the journal Obstetrics and Gynecology. This is the field's leading circulation specialty journal. Welcome, Dr. Spong. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Most of our audience is outside of academic medicine, and although many are familiar with the process of submitting medical papers for publication, I thought it would be interesting to delve into the matter a little bit further. Since society recommendations generally come from published studies, a specific look at some of these details might be helpful. As an obstetrician myself, I particularly like the metaphor, admittedly a bit of a stretch, of the birth of a paper from conception to delivery or publication. What can, uh, Dr. Spong, where can would-be authors get information about what and how to submit papers to your journal? Probably the easiest place to go is on the web at www.greenjournal.com. Org. That website has information about how to submit papers, um, instructions for authors, commonly asked questions, and then it links you specifically to the editorial manager where you would go through the process of submitting the manuscript electronically. Do you take mail uh, submissions any longer, or does it all have to be electronic? We will take mail um, hard copy or, or um, regular mail submissions as well. It is very uncommon these days um, to receive one. Most people like the electronic process, but we are certainly open to taking them from the mail as well. What happens first at the journal when a manuscript is submitted? The first thing that happens is people at the journal office will look at the manuscript and make certain that it meets the criteria for the Green Journal, and then they will assign it to one of the three editors. The editors in general then review the papers At the same time, the office assigns it to one of the editorial board members. This is perhaps slightly different and specialized to our journal, where we have a very active editorial board. These editorial board members will review between 8 and 10 manuscripts every three weeks, so they are very cognizant of what types of articles are published in the journal. In addition, we will assign it to two subspecialty reviewers, reviewers who have specific expertise in the topic. How many manuscripts do you get in a year? Um, We get a lot of manuscripts in a year. I don't have the actual number um, on hand. It does go through different peaks and valleys, but we get a lot of manuscripts. Can you give me some idea of what percentage of the manuscripts are sent out for peer review or uh, what percent are kind of blocked at the first door? The majority of manuscripts submitted to our journal are sent out for peer review because we realize the importance of getting feedback on a manuscript and improving that manuscript, whether it would be published in the Green Journal or not. There are some that do not go through peer review, are um, what's called an editorial reject, and more commonly those are because they didn't conform to the journal's requirements, or if we're getting 
far too many manuscripts that for our reviewers to be able to handle. Sometimes we have to make some tough decisions. Are the editorial board members, are they compensated? Um, they are not compensated financially to participate on the editorial board. It is somewhat of an honor to be chosen. It means you've been an excellent reviewer for the journal. And we do not only ask them to help with the review process, but we also ask for their feedback in the strategic planning of the journal. And we have an editorial board retreat every year where we go over how the journal's done over the last year and what we're planning on for the next year. And they're involved in that. I see. How many editorial board members do you have? We usually have around 15. Oh, I see. So it's a manageable group. And are you, as an associate editor, are you one of those three editors that is a primary reviewer? Right. So the manuscripts are assigned either to Jim Scott, who is the editor of the journal, to uh, John Queenan, who is the deputy editor, or to myself, the associate editor. How do you assign specific peer reviewers? Uh, how does a journal uh, make that judgment? Peer reviewers are um, selected based on their expertise. So when a person is interested or is requested to be a reviewer for the journal, they choose different areas of expertise. We can select them either because of the expertise that they have based on the manuscript itself. Sometimes we also go through the manuscript and look at the references and see who would be an expert reviewer as well. Can the authors ask to have or avoid specific reviewers? So what's the journal policy on author preference? This is pretty well delineated, I think, in the information for authors. You can request reviewers. You can suggest who might be a good reviewer for your manuscript. And you can also request that certain people not review your manuscript. Um, we try to work with those guidelines that are requested by the authors. Sometimes it's not possible, but we try to honor those. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Catherine Spong, Associate Editor of the Journal Obstetrics and Gynecology and Program Scientist for the Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. Today we are discussing a scientific method that underlies medicine, specifically the medical journal publication process. In this segment, we are discussing the birth of a medical paper from submission to publication. I think the thing that confuses me a little bit about the peer review process is the offer to have authors suggest peer reviewers and even for some journals require it. Obviously, the authors are going to suggest their professional buds, so how can you trust any favorable review from somebody the author suggests? I think you'd actually be surprised. Sometimes a reviewer that a person would recommend isn't always as favorable as they thought they would be. Um, I think it's important whenever an editor is reviewing the comments from the different reviewers, something like that is taken into consideration if it was someone that the author suggested or not. But in general... Uh, reviewers are very fair. Even the ones that are suggested by their friends and colleagues. Sometimes they're the harshest critics. That's actually uh, very unexpected. That's pretty surprising. I have another question about the review process. What about statistical review? Uh, speaking candidly, I'm actually a reviewer for your journal. Uh, certainly there are studies that have a fair amount of statistics that I do not feel competent to judge. I can judge the writing and some of the science and perhaps the methodology, but the statistics is usually a little beyond my background. So how do you handle statistical review? And it's probably a little different for our journal than for other journals. Any manuscript that we consider, that we may consider for publication, 
does undergo a specific review by a statistician who's an associate editor for statistics so that every manuscript that is published has been reviewed by a statistician. Aren't a lot of journals trending in that direction? I think so. Um, There are still some that don't require a specific statistical review, relying instead on their expert reviewers or on the expert reviewer stating whether or not a statistical review is needed. In terms of this review process, is there a formal step where you're checking for duplicate publication or fraud or scientific misconduct? Right. The check for duplicate publication is commonly done by the reviewers, the peer reviewers, the editorial board members, and the expert reviewers. Good reviews include a review of the literature and how does this piece of work fit into the literature. And so sometimes we'll get um, a review back that will say, you know, this really is the exact same publication has already been published, or you might want to check how this is different from you know, something that has been published. That actually leads to my next question, of course. Why get one paper out of a study when you can get three? Are there any guidelines for you to decide how, uh, if an author is getting more than one publication out of basically the same data set? Some studies are designed that way, where they're designed to have a primary outcome and then some secondary analyses. And, you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin. When you do a very large, a very expensive study, to have one publication come from it answering a specific question when you could have perhaps asked a couple of other questions and had another publication, you know, it might be beneficial to ask those additional questions. So you have to take it into the context of what is appropriate to be included in one manuscript versus splitting it into two or three different manuscripts. Sometimes we do get that where we feel that really it's so close to another publication, they really should have just included that data point in the other publication. But there are other times when it's very appropriate to have multiple publications coming from one study. Does anybody ever bother to check that if the author makes an assertion and then has a a specific citation that the assertion was actually contained within that citation? Right. The first line, again, of defense there is are the peer reviewers. The ones who have that specific expertise, they know those citations. And so sometimes they will say that this citation really doesn't support that statement that was said. If it's going to be published and it goes through the process of get of becoming uh, going into page proofs, that, that'll be a second time of checking. I see. So again, uh, the peer review process is a first line of defense. And actually, in talking with you, it sounds like a pretty good first line of defense. Yeah, they're absolutely critical to the process. Do you have any offhand knowledge of how many peer reviewers the journal has? The journal has, um, it's an electronic database, so I don't know the number of peer reviewers within the database, um, but it is uh, very large. I think it's something like 1,200. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually, I think there are only probably about I don't know, uh, 33,000 or 35,000 gynecologists in the United States are board-certified obstetrician gynecologists. And so this one journal has 1,200 peer reviewers. So it's a very significant activity of uh, the profession. And I think they take it very seriously. I try to get my reviews in on time. What percentage of the papers uh, that are actually submitted get published? Do you have a, a rough estimate? It depends on how many are submitted, of course, because you you have a certain journal size that's going to be published each month. Um, so it ranges depending on the number that have been submitted. But over the past five years, it's probably somewhere between 20 and 30 percent 
are published in the Green Journal. So it turns out that actually the majority are rejected. Is that uh, is that a common uh, statistic for many journals, or do some journals accept the majority of papers? It depends on how competitive that journal is, which um, feeds into the circulation of the journal, the success of the journal, the um, ability to attract the good papers. So the more papers that you have, the lower your uh, to choose from, the lower your acceptance rate is going to be. Paradoxically, the journals probably with the highest rejection rate are might, the most competitive and and might attract the best papers. Is that that's kind of that's actually a a paradoxical effect. I want to thank Dr. Catherine Spong, Associate Editor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Program Scientist for the Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.